Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, dear worship leaders. Children, we're so glad that you could join us for this part of our service where there are some wonderful adults ready to help you understand Jesus and his words. So I'll dismiss the little ones up through grade four, please. You'll find that there's some wonderful folks ready to receive you right outside those doors. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning. Because God wants to speak to us, I believe, in a very special way in these next few minutes. If you'll open it, please, to the Gospel of John in John 15 in particular. Trouty had some wonderful words about this summer. And you've seen this picture on the screen many times. It was our theme this summer. And the question that I have for you and for me is, did Jesus help you learn how to make choices that honor Him as you learn to walk more closely with Him? Did Jesus help you to uh, change in your life and to adapt to the changes in your life as you walk more closely with Him? Did Jesus help you to grow the connection relationship with Him and then as that reached out and touched the lives of other people in your family and elsewhere? Right in the middle of your worship folder are my notes for this morning, and I'd urge you to take them, and I ask you these questions. What did God show me this summer? How am I a different person as a result of this summer? Uh, this week was what may I call it a, a hinge week of change from summer to fall. The fair is over, and I live right down the road from the fair, so if the wind is blowing right, I smell it and I hear it all week long. <laughs> so I was kind of glad to see it come to an end. Uh, life has turned the corner here in Walworth County. If you have any children or grandchildren in your family, they're all back to school and things have changed. If you're a business owner in this communities of this part of Walworth County, the economy changes, doesn't it, when we move into the first part of September. During the summer, I gave you this thought that Easter week 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here was the hinge weekend of all of human history. Everything led up to it, and everything since then points back to us. And this summer, we had a number of things that call into question the truth, the validity of Easter weekend. We had a number of funerals in this room. And Pastor Chuck and I stood here and we made bold statements about where those people now are in the presence of God. But that's a lie if Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, right? We had a number of weddings in this room, one of them yesterday, where a couple stood before us and said, we're convinced the risen Jesus has brought us together and awakened to love for one another and we covenant to each other and to Him the rest of our lives as husband and wife. But that doesn't work if there is no resurrected Jesus, right? A young woman, Lydia Lofgren, stood here. Uh, my own family stood here and said, we believe the risen Jesus has called us to a dramatic life change, to leave behind the familiar and the comfortable, and in Lydia's case, go to Kosovo and learn the language and live there as a single young woman to proclaim the truth of Jesus. And in my family's case, France and then Mali. So it calls you and me to ask the question, is it true that the person, the risen person of Jesus Christ, should permeate every choice, every change, every decision, every relationship in your life and mine, huh? Our theme verse uh, this year, one of them, just a few weeks before that first Easter weekend when Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come. You might have life and have it to the fullest. And that's why I wrote for you what I wrote on the front of what you received when you came in. Look at it with me. 
What could life be like for any of us if we lived it to the fullest of God's design for us? Too often we settle for much less and assume that that's simply how life goes. But what if? Uh, what if you imagined that Jesus came to you and personally said, I I'm going into Passover weekend and I want to invite you to be my personal guest. I would like you to walk the journey of this weekend with me. We'll start tonight. We're going to gather with my friends for the Seder meal. Come, you'll be my guest in the room there with my closest friends. John gives us four chapters of what took place there in that room. Beginning, you'll remember, in the 13th chapter where Jesus gets up from the table, picks up a, a, a bowl and starts to wash the feet of his disciples. And if you're a leader of any kind in this room, you understand that he was modeling for us that servant leadership is God's way, serving those you lead. Then as he's sitting around the table with his closest friends, he looks at them. We've had a wonderful journey these months, but brothers, tonight everything changes. And one of you at this table is going to betray me. And if I can paraphrase, soldiers are going to come and take me. They're going to beat me to a pulp and hang me on a cross, and I'll die. And one of you is going to start that by betraying me. They couldn't believe it. Judas, as you remember, got up and ran out of the room. Jesus, a little later, said to them, Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come and I'll take you to be with me where I am, as he spoke of heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get there. He went on to explain that he would send the Holy Spirit to live within those who were his followers, who believed in him. It would change their lives. You see, what he was saying was, I created you unlike anything else in all of creation. You're not like rocks or frogs or trees or birds. And I have created you uniquely for a relationship with Almighty God. I've designed you for a vital, connected, growing relationship with God. And tonight I want to explain it to you, he was saying. That's our mission here at Calvary to draw and connect people into vibrant relationship with God. When you come to the end of the 14th chapter of John, Jesus said, Now, I love the Father, and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Now, come now. Let us leave. Jared, I think you've got a slide for that. One more. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener, the vine dresser, he said. Would you look at that carefully with me? I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My translation says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Come now, let us leave. They had gotten up from the table. 
They had walked out of that upper room and down the stairs and into the little streets of Jerusalem, down to the eastern side, down into the Kidron Valley, and up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And down there in that Kidron Valley, there were, as there are now in some places, some vines and branches of grapes. I believe that Jesus stopped there. And while these men were not professional vine dressers, they had grown up in that part of Israel where they knew about grapes and vines. And he was about to explain to them something that even to this day we still don't fully understand, but is the core of why Jesus came. A vibrant, authentic relationship like vine and branches. Have any of you ever been to the vineyards anywhere in the world and you've taken a close look at vine and branches? Most of us haven't, so I found a website where you can just look at some pictures while I explain a couple of things to you about vine and branches. Most of us have talked about grape vines as those green little twigs that come out and from which the grapes fall. That's not what the vine and branches is all about. The vine is that stalk that comes up out of the ground with the roots down deep in the soil and the branches are what we often call vines that trellis out from which the grapes hang. It's vitally important for the vine dresser, uh, the gardener if you will, to tend the vines. Do you know why? The vines are too weak to suspend like branches on trees or bushes and they naturally drop down. That's why there's a trellis to hold them up. Sadly, this is one of the places in the NIV translation of the Bible that I'm disappointed with how the translators translated it. It says there in verse 2, He, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me. Do you see the in me? He's talking about people who have a relationship with him. And nowhere in God's word do we see that God cuts off people who have a relationship with him. That's sadly an unfortunate translation. The Greek word there is the word aero. It means to lift up, to carry. I have a little book that I just love. It's called The Secrets of the Vine. Bruce Wilkinson wrote it. It's so good I brought a bunch of copies, and I have them there for you if you'd like one. Here's what he says about this. A clearer translation of the Greek word aero, rendered in John 15 by some translators as cut off or take away, should be to take up or lift up. Lift up suggests the image of a vine dresser leaning over to lift up a branch. But why? The answer came for me years ago when I was attending a conference on the West Coast. And a sun-browned man came to me and asked me, Do you understand John 15? Well, not completely, I answered. Why? I own a large vineyard in Northern California, he said, and I think I have figured it out. We sat down over coffee and he began to talk about the life of a grower, the long hours spent walking the vineyards, tending the grapes, watching the fruit develop, waiting for the perfect day to begin the harvest. New branches, he said to me, have a natural tendency to trail down and grow along the ground. But they don't bear any fruit down there. When branches grow along the ground, the leaves get coated in dust. When it rains, they get muddy and mildewed. The branch becomes sick and useless. What do you do, I asked him. Cut it off and throw it away? Oh, no, he said. The branch is much too valuable for that. We go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for those branches down in the dust. We lift them up and we wash them off. He demonstrated for me with his dark, calloused hands. Then we wrap them around the trellis or we tie them up and pretty soon they're thriving again. 
as he talked, I could picture Jesus' own hand motions where he taught in the vineyard that night. He was showing how the Father makes sure that his crop comes in full and sweet. When the branches fall into the dirt, God the Father doesn't throw them away or abandon them. He lifts them up and cleans them off and helps them to flourish. What would it be that would cause you and me a branch who is connected to Jesus to trail down and just live in the dust? How about life just gets too busy and you can't find a place for God in your busy life? Or how about, let's be honest, God hasn't answered your prayer. He's disappointed you. And so you've started to push away from God and fill your life with other things. Or how about you're not so sure you can trust the Bible to be true, so you stop reading it. Or how about there's something in your life tantalizing, drawing you into places where you know you shouldn't go, you know it's not helpful to you or your family, but you're drawn there. And the more you're drawn there, the further away God seems. Every single one of us, starting with me, our natural tendency in life is to trail down and to live down in the dust and the dirt where the burdens and the stressors and the pain and the disappointment of life just weighs you down and I'm so happy to tell you that when that happens God doesn't get angry and he doesn't spank you and he doesn't cut you off he reaches to you to lift you up so that he can nourish you and you can flourish how does he do it I've listed some for you there in your notes how about he brings people around you who will speak words of encouragement into your life do you remember Ephesians 4 29 let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only that which is helpful for building others up according to their need. Sometimes, 2 Timothy 2, he brings somebody who's going to speak truth to you. Could it be, my friends, that he, he has somebody invite you to come with them to a worship service, and you haven't been in a long time, and as you're surrounded by people singing and praising God, and, or maybe like this morning, expressing their praise to God, you feel welling up inside of you something you haven't felt in a long time. Joy again and hope. Or how about he brings around you people who pray over you and you feel a touch of God. Or how about you feel drawn to open up his word and his word encourages you. Or maybe his word penetrates and convicts you. But have you noticed that God loves you and me so much that if none of those things work, there is yet one more thing he'll do. Just like a loving parent or a grandparent, he will discipline. He will discipline. He'll bring pain into your life to draw you to himself. Hebrews chapter 12. So do you see, my friends, I asked some questions here. <laughs> do I recognize my natural tendency towards spiritual infertility? What contributes to my no fruit living? What does it look like in me? What do I normally do about it when it happens? Hmm. What is God's pattern with me as he lifts me up from my no fruit living? And what is my usual response to God's efforts? And what is this fruit? Do you remember Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit is 
Hey, you're going to see it right here on the screen. There it is. Let's say it together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you're one of those people out of whom this is bubbling so much that the people around you say, enough already, put a bag on it, can't handle it, it's too much. Right? Look closely at every one of those words, my dear friends. It's in your notes as well. That is the tangible, measurable evidence of fruit that the Holy Spirit of God is birthing and growing in you. And the absence of it is the evidence that you have trellised down and you are living down in the dust and in the mud and the mire. It's not hard to assess. Has he lifted you up? Is his word filling your heart and your mind and you are fruit-bearing? Or are you down in that dark, discouraged place? But again, he loves you too much to leave you there. And he'll reach to you. And this morning he may be calling you and me to ask ourselves the question, how many people do I know who are not living in that wonderful fruit-bearing place, but they're down in that dark, dusty place, and God's calling me to be the one who comes alongside of them and speaks that word of hope, invites them back into God's word, helps them to see how God wants to lift them up. Huh? Hmm. My father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be more fruitful. Isn't that interesting? What does that look like? Most of us around here, we understand about pruning bushes and things. It's, may I call it clearing the clutter? Huh? Clearing the clutter. The weeds and the other things that are getting in the way of, of, of the flowers in your life. Can you recognize when God is trying to clean away some of the clutter in your life so you can be even more fruit-bearing? Can you identify what is the clutter that's getting in the way of you being, becoming all that God would like you to be? Huh. Have you noticed, my friends, that Oftentimes, it's the things that we grasp so tightly that then start to grasp us. You ever seen an octopus up close? I haven't, so I had to go looking for a picture. I think I found one. That is one strange-looking animal, isn't it? I don't know if I'll think to ask God about it, but it would be fun to hear God explain why. But I'm grateful he did for this moment <laughs> because... It's a picture. Why wouldn't two or three arms be enough? Why eight? Because it's a picture of you and me frantically grasping all that we can, stretching ourselves so far that so often we just don't have time to hear his voice, to be with him. Be still and know that I am God. Don't have time to open up his word and say, God, please speak into my heart and my life. Have you noticed that often the things that we frantically pursue and grasp turn around and own us, control us? Pruning, purging. 
requires you and me being willing to open up our hands and release the grip as he shows us the things that he wants to not forcibly but lovingly remove from our all too cluttered lives so he can breathe freshness in there, speak truth and wholeness in there, help us to be more fruit-bearing. Huh? And do you see that it is absolutely essential? It hinges on remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We are professionals as Americans at what one of my little granddaughters was saying not long ago. I can do it myself when I wanted to help her with almost anything. We do that, don't we? God, I can do it myself. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I asked a couple questions here. Am I confident of my connection to Jesus as my Savior? And what is the evidence? Am I confident uh, that I'm living in vital connection with Him as my Sovereign, my Lord, my King, my Master? And what is the evidence? What lift up or prune work is God doing in my life? And how am I responding? What does fruitful look like in my life? You've observed, my friends, that I bring you questions that I'm working through. I will never bring you anything that I haven't already been wrestling with myself. And so, God and I have been wrestling with what is the degree of fruitfulness that I have. How often do I find myself with just the stuff of life down in the dust in the dirt? needing the gardener to lift me up? How often do I allow the, the stuff of life to get in the way so that the little fruit that I'm bearing, it could be so much more, but I'm getting in the way of that. And I'm inviting you to join me this fall asking ourselves these kinds of important questions. It might help you to go into parenting or grandparenting mode when you like to ask your children or your grandchildren the kinds of questions that will help them. And you know what it feels like when they say, can I go out and play now? Or can we talk about it some other time? And may I suggest to you that Almighty God who made you and me and this universe is saying, no, no, this morning, don't push it away. Ask yourself the deep questions and invite the Holy Spirit to show you so that you no longer live down in that dusty, settling for just survival place. I'm the vine, verse 5, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. How do we move from barren, no fruit, to some fruit, to much fruit? A couple of thoughts for you. It starts with knowing God. It starts with spending a lot of good time here in his love letter to you. And as you know about him, you will start knowing him in relationship. And then it's, it moves to living your life 
in his truth. It continues just like any other human relationship that you have as you communicate regularly, frequently with him. And then as you listen, as he communicates with you. And you deepen that communication to the point where you start building a love relationship with him. You're receiving his love for you, and you're responding, allowing the natural outflow of love from you to him. And that results in life change. And you actually become what years ago Bill Hybels called a contagious Christ follower. Someone who is bearing such fruit that it just simply draws people around you to him. Jesus went on to say in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. John uses that word disciples a lot in the Gospel of John. A couple of summers ago, we read the book Not a Fan. Most of the time that John uses the word disciples, he's talking about fans. The crowds that used to come and listen to Jesus talk and be awed by it. Those who especially love to come and watch the miracles and be amazed by it. They were not followers. They didn't really come to know him. Some of them found themselves in the crowd shouting, Crucify him! Three times, and only three times, John uses Jesus' words, where Jesus spoke, here's what it's like for you to be one of my disciples. Here's one of them right here. Did you see it? I just read it to you in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. Disciple means pupil, learner, close follower, one becoming like your teacher. In your notes, I've given you the other two. John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching, you're truly my disciple. John chapter 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then the world will know you're my disciples. So it's a fair question. Could you classify yourself as a disciple? A fan who's interested in the show, but there is no connection. Or a follower who has a hunger to know him and your life is being changed by him and you celebrate the fact that the father the gardener keeps lifting you up and you want to be one who lifts up other people then you want to bear as much fruit as you possibly can so what does much fruit look like Colossians chapter 3 I have some of it there in your notes for you here's what it says therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and as you admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him that's what much fruit looks like 
Fruit starts down deep inside as he changes you. Much fruit is how you reach out and touch our world by him. So again, it shouldn't be difficult to ask the question of ourselves. No fruit because we're living down in the dust, discouraged and defeated. Some fruit, but not nearly as much as it could be because we've allowed the busyness of life and the stuff we're grasping to block the work that he'd like to do in us. Much fruit because we've invited him to prune us and clean out the clutter. So as we prepare to come to the table, a couple of questions. Am I connected to Jesus? Am I barren or am I fruit-bearing? Am I connected to Jesus? Am I barren or am I fruit-bearing? And then one last one. How am I protecting and nurturing the fruit-bearing relationship Jesus is trying to develop with me? How am I protecting and nurturing the fruit-bearing relationship Jesus is trying to develop with me? I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father's the gardener. And like a human gardener, he is constantly walking and watching to see where is there any branch that is not living to its fullest potential? Has it become overwhelmed by the stuff of life and has drooped down into the dust and not needs to be cut off? Oh, no, much too valuable for that. It needs to be lifted up, refreshed, cleansed, encouraged, nurtured. Where are those that are up some fruit, but not nearly as much as could be because life has become so cluttered. Where are those that are much fruit-bearing, luscious, wonderful fruit, making such a difference in their families, their world, their work, their marketplace, their church? I can imagine Jesus in the vineyard saying, Fellas, you get it? There's so much more I want to tell you. Come, let's go deeper into the garden. Walking into the garden of Gethsemane. Next week we'll continue to unpack this a little bit more. And then in only a short while, the soldier's coming. And this is possible. Communion. He had said in that upper room as he took the bread and he broke it, this is my body broken for you. I will accomplish in the next few hours, that for which I have come. So you need not live down in the mud and the mire of life, but rather lift it up in restored and renewed relationship with my Father. So let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus Christ, it's time for us to prepare our hearts to receive communion. So easily we find ourselves in that discouraged place. Lift us up, please by the powerful truth of your word, by the worship we're going to experience, and by the overwhelming reality that the bread we are about to be passed is a symbol that you, Lord Jesus Christ, took upon yourself the sin of the world, including our sin, and therefore received the outpouring of the wrath of God upon you. You took our punishment so that we could be forgiven and restored an unbroken holy relationship with God. Prepare your hearts, my friends. 
You don't need to be a member of Calvary Community Church to receive communion with us. We just ask that you're sure you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior. Men, would you serve us the bread, please?